Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Thank you so much for lending us your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got, and that is your time. Especially if you're new here to Suncast, I want to thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention. I promise you will be rewarded. Today, we get to hang out with a guest that I have wanted to interview, not just for his dashing good looks and radio voice, but also his insight into topics like the circular economy, how the clean energy sector is scaling and how that growth includes acquisitions of uh, companies like the one that he's a part of and what we all can learn about culture as a result. Today's clean energy expert is Dean Vukovic, general manager of Ground Mount Systems for TerraSmart. And I've been looking forward to interviewing Dean for a while, as many of you are aware that TerraSmart, along with several other brands, are part of Gibraltar. As many of you are aware, Gibraltar acquired TerraSmart and RBI and Sunfig and I have been dying to get a bit more insight into the story and the culture and the reasons for some of the ways that not just Gibraltar, but many other companies are seeing rapid uh, M&A in the industry. I wanted to get some insight through the lens of someone who has lived it, but much more than just the lived experience of an acquisition and the rapid growth that their companies are seeing. Today's guest, Dean, has tremendous lived experience in our industry and other industries. And we're going to talk about things like corporate culture, circular economy, and planning for growth, the processes therein, and the ways that you as a participant in this industry might want to think about how your business can benefit from the insights that we glean. I promise you are going to get a ton of value from this episode. If you do like what you hear, please subscribe to the show as that'll ensure that you won't miss out on the twice week content just like this with clean energy founders, CEOs, and entrepreneurs leading the clean energy transition. Of course, you can always listen to the more than 450 additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com where we list a ton of other resources for your benefit. But for now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, as I mentioned just now in the intro, Dean Vukovic is general manager of Ground Mount Systems for TerraSmart. He's been serving as the general manager of TerraSmart since May of 2019, and he's focused on specifically building processes and a team for growth. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the brand TerraSmart and the companies therein, namely the ground mount systems, which formerly was RBI Solar. Uh, before I get too deep into the weeds here, let me welcome Dean to Suncast. Yeah, thanks, Nico. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, mate. It's good to good to see you, <laughs> and I'm glad we finally have a chance to to chat a bit about 
uh, about the experience that you have had that led up to uh, what you're doing now at TerraSmart. I'd love to hear about your family life prior, prior to even before you really got into, I'll say business or work. What was the conversation like around the dinner table when you were a kid or perhaps even coming up in your teen years? Tell me about the conversations that you had with your parents that perhaps formed how you think about the world. Growing up, I was uh, born and raised in Melbourne, in Australia. You know, me and my sister and you know, mum and dad, but uh, first generation Aussie and uh, the rest of my extended family, pretty much everyone else, was born in Croatia, Serbia, ex-Yugoslavia and either immigrated out to Australia or you know, made their way over to the States or some are still, uh, still there. So your parents are originally from Eastern Europe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep, yep. And actually, as strange as it might sound, uh, some actually made their way out to Australia as a function of the war, which is, yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately something that, you know, Europe is experiencing right now, which is not great. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so pretty multicultural, as Australia is or Melbourne is anyway, yeah. but uh, specifically the family, yeah, um, definitely a collective of different ideas and perspectives and you know, ultimately, what what was the uh, conversation like at the dinner table? Well, um, Balkans are known for having a pretty feisty temper, so uh, you know, it's safe to say that there was a lot of energy and passion at the dinner table discussions, for sure. <laughs> I love that. Do you find that that Balkan heritage is in some way distinct from the environment that you grew up in in Australia? Like, did did that make you in some way feel? Uh, a bit like an outsider there, even though that you're first generation and grew up there? Not really, Nico, because, you know, again, Melbourne's just pretty multicultural to begin with. So as I was growing up and went to school, you know, there was you know, third or fourth generation Australians and Italians and Middle Eastern and Greek and, you know, Balkan, Croatian, Serbian. So, yeah, not really from, you know, from you know, feeling like an out- outsider's perspective at all, but it is an interesting contrast because uh, there is a certain level, you know, anyone that kind of has a friend or has family that, uh, that is from that particular region, you know, could probably appreciate this, this statement is that there's a certain level of intensity with things that they generally do. So if you contrast that with Australia or Australians in general that are very kind of lighthearted and don't take, take things too, too much to heart, um, you know, just an interesting contrast there, but yeah, overall it was, um, yeah, Melbourne's a great place. Yeah, great place to grow up for sure. I think that one of the things I wanted to ask you that would help, uh, uh, I'm going to assume that the listeners of Suncast don't have this as a as a core issue, but there are a lot of folks who maybe don't really have a grasp of the vast expanse that is Australia. I'm sure you run into this a lot. The, yeah. the globe and the map actually misrepresent the size of Australia. How do you, if, you know, at a dinner party when you're talking to folks and you run into someone who thinks that Australia is like this small island out in, in the South Pacific, how do you reference it? How do you talk about the size and breadth and multicultural aspect of Australia, especially to Americans to help them kind of understand the nature of it? The equivalent landmass of the continental US is probably the easiest way to say it, but what's probably more interesting is... If you were to uh, drive from New York to LA, it would take roughly about the same time in Australia. 
But the difference is you would hit nothing, <laughs> basically. You, I mean, yeah, there'd be some country, small country towns, but- The famous outback. Yeah, the famous outback. So, you know, I'm in Cincinnati and so there would be no Cincinnati equivalent in Australia on the journey from New York to LA. And that, you know, that's probably the best way I can explain it. So there's a lot of empty space out there. Good for solar. It's great for solar. Yeah. <laughs> and manufacturing uh, in general for, for, for high intensity products, I would assume, because you, you can, I don't, I don't understand why there isn't, perhaps it's because it's an island, uh, why there isn't more industry located in Australia. And I know that certainly like companies uh, are looking at Australia for in particular hydrogen export for that reason, because they can saddle up aside a, a gigantic solar park. Um, there, yeah. are, there are fun things about Australia. We can make the whole interview about Australia. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think it is interesting to note that a lot of folks, not just Americans, just like they don't understand the, the, the scope of Australia, to your point. Like it is the same landmass as the United States, roughly. And interesting fact, the most isolated city in the world uh, is in Australia, yeah. Perth, right? Yeah. It's on my bucket list. I have to go to Perth. <laughs> It's tough. Like anytime, especially from Melbourne, which is, you know, on the southeastern coast, anytime you want to go to sort of America or Europe ends up being about a 30 hour, 30 oh hour God. trip. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things that we, we really truly don't appreciate about all of the, I'll call it amenities that we have in America. The, the life really is, uh, and, and in Europe as well, but life really is easier here for, for that and many other reasons. But yeah, you know, I asked about the experience growing up in Australia, because you, uh, as we'll as we'll discuss a little later, you have a perspective on culture that informs how you think about management, informs how you think about engaging, not just with your your employees, but also your customers. And so, uh, I want to bring that in uh, a bit later in the conversation. Uh, I recall that you've been in, we'll call it broadly, green tech, and uh, and you've been thinking about, as I mentioned in the intro, the circular economy from the very early stages of your work life. Can you tell me a bit about the, the first job straight, straight out of high school that kind of got you into the work world? Yeah, so I met this amazing person called Steve Morris when I was really young. So I must have been, boy, must have been 16, 17 years old, basically my first job. And he was the one that really introduced me to this whole notion, you know, being that young, you, you don't really understand or know or appreciate that world. But, but yeah, uh, I joined with him and I think I was, you know, employee number one or number two as he started up this uh, this company called Close the Loop in Melbourne, Australia. So, yeah, I was riding, you know, rode my push bike into, into work and, um, you know, predominantly working in the factory. But the whole premise, the whole concept behind the, uh, behind the business model was to take waste, in this case, uh, electronics waste or imaging waste, and put it through a process that uh, allowed it to not only stay out of landfill, but add value into its its sort of the, into the technical nutrients. So you would do you know, a complex sorting, deconstruction, refinement to you know might be the polymers or the metals or you know the powders or the inks, whatever the whatever that sort of that that material stream was, and then make it add value to some end um, application. So yeah, that. Yeah, I could I could safely say Steve Morris was definitely the one that uh, got me hooked on all things green. And now I sometimes joke, which is I feel like a hippie at heart, but one that understands that we can't 
you know, we can't move the world to a better place. We can't do things like solar and, and you know, the circular economy without, you know, without making money, right? This, this capital machine has to work in order for that to keep amplifying. So it's maybe a different way to say it is like a new age hippie, which is I want to leave the world in a better place than maybe what I received it in. So I've got two young daughters, right? There'd be like, there'd be nothing more that I would love than to give the world to them in a, yeah, and all the, all the other kids in a slightly better place, hopefully a slightly better place than we received it. But the economics and the business models have to, have to complement that. And, and that's what, uh, you know, that's what Steve back in the day was able to do. And, and at least that's where I caught the bug. Yeah. Really early wow. on. Yeah. And what a formational and transformational experience. So, so young, straight out of high school to have that opportunity. You know, I wonder, was there a career path that you did not go down, but always thought that you would prior to meeting Steve? There was a few as I was growing up. I remember when I was early in school, it must've been like 14 or 15. For some reason, I just took a natural affinity to the digestive tract for some particular reason. And, and I could explain and memorize the entire digestive system. Wow. So that was, that was kind of funny, but I would say just computers, specifically data, informational systems is you know, what I went to school for. And that's, you know, for the large part when I was much younger, uh, that's really where I thought my career would take me. And at, uh, you know, I want to say maybe it was 20, yeah, 2021. And again, I was yeah, at Close the Loop. And as we were building that business up, I, I had a sort of a dual role. One was database and systems development for the team for that business, but also um, yeah, heavy, a heavy hand in the production and manufacturing side of things. And, and I remember one, one day my, my boss at the time, Terry, sat me down and he said, son, listen, it's time to choose. Because <laughs> yeah, the business got to that point, it got to a scale where you know, me and myself, I couldn't do both properly. And so I remember this. So I said, Terry, like, what would you do? Because yeah, uh, yeah, I said, "What would you do?" Just looking for some guidance and counselling, and he said, um, "Yeah, he said, son, I'd pick management." And I said, "Deal." So I let the the database and software d- development side of things. Um, yeah, we had a we found a solution for that, and um, found a person to go ahead at, and then that's really when I started to dig in and and you know, full time uh, work in sort of production operations management realm. But along the journey, uh, I can't help myself, but I, yeah, systems and software development has always been close to me, regardless of you know, the role or the you know, location that I'm in. Even today, it's just near and dear to my heart. So I could never fully give it up, but yeah, officially it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> but what a, um, you know, what a skill set to be able to deploy into a management role to, under, to have that systems thinking mindset, right? The ability to break something down into a process, I can imagine countless times that's helped you counsel those that work for you on how to take large projects, things that we're very familiar with in in the, in the solar industry and break them down into their component parts and think about how to move them forward. Yeah. It's been quite interesting. I mean, there's been a whole host of different, different scenarios and challenges over the, you know, over the time, but at the end of the day, Whenever sort of I or a team that I'm working with finds finds themselves where we're kind of staring at the at this mountain to move, mm. the best way is just to you know it's like that old adage, just eat, eat eat an elephant one bite at a time. It's probably been like 
overused right now. It kind of lost its meaning, but it really does hold true. Just do something. Just start anything. Even if you're not super confident that it's going to be the you know, perfect and it's the absolute right thing to do, you know, pro, you know, progress over perfection. I guess some other people say it that way too. It's just, just start and you'll, you'll learn. I'm certain of it. So that's generally the philosophy that I apply. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about growing up in, in uh, Melbourne, but you are now sitting in Cincinnati, Ohio, here in America. Talk about the process of deciding to move to the United States and, and how that ultimately led you to the role that you have now with TerraSmart. So in two, about 2007, um, Steve and the, the board and the management team closed the loop, approached me and said, uh, hey, we want to start up a facility over in the States. Are you interested in going over to help the team start it up? And so, yeah, I was 23 years old. I didn't have a wife or kids or anything like that. And I remember yeah, I have chatting with my folks and saying, hey, this is kind of this thing. It's in Kentucky. I'm not quite sure exactly where that is or Cincinnati, you know, because I couldn't locate that on a map. I wasn't that familiar with the US at the time. You know, I knew the big ones, you know, I knew New York and LA, but you're sort of on the on the inside because I just It's did. like asking someone else to to pick a city outside of Sydney or Melbourne. Yeah, for, right, for right. exactly. You just wouldn't know. You know, at the time, you know, my, my parents were really supportive of that and they said, yeah, go, you know, go for it, go for it. And, yeah, ultimately we, you know, said yes and came over to help the team start it up. And, yeah, what was it, mid-2007, mid yeah, mid I think, we got the keys to, oh, boy, I think it might have been about, you know, eighty to 100,000 square foot building at that point. And, uh, yeah, I remember we came over, flew over with the founder, Steve, and we got the keys from the real estate agent and walked into the building and went, oh, wow, that's a big place. And what was it that Close the Loop was was going to do? Uh, for we don't need to dwell too much on uh, on the net, the business model of Close the Loop, but just for context, what was that facility for? Yeah, so it was to receive and process the materials. So yeah, one of the first customers was Staples and Lexmark. So Close the Loop is basically acts as the back end to these businesses. So when you go return your inkjet cartridges or toner cartridges to Staples or you send them back to Lexmark, any of those uh, return programs that serve the end of life, close the loop sort of bolts onto the back end of these manufacturers and retail chains and says, hey, you know, you guys know how to sell it and build it. We know how to get it from everyone and do something valuable with it, keep it out of landfill and put, you know, make it add value. So, so that's it. That's basically um, what that facility was designed for is a centralized hub to receive and process all these material. Could you tell me about when you were first exposed to the idea that this industry, solar energy, uh, could be an opportunity for you or a career? I would have called myself a budding solar advocate uh, pre but, you know, before joining the you know, Gibraltar and Legacy, you know, what, what was then the RBI team. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I would do my research on the side and try and follow the news the best I could, you know, watch YouTube videos on the latest technology in, in the solar space. But outside of that, because I wasn't in the industry at the time, I really didn't have a deep appreciation for the inner workings and the mechanics of it. So I would say that, you know, that appreciation has come you know, fairly recently you know, in the last three years. What would you say to 
folks who say, as we see so often, and I consider it a flaw in our hiring process, oh, you need X years of experience to do this job in the solar industry. Uh, I mean, we see it all the time, especially for management roles. You didn't come to the industry with that, with any specific solar experience. I have two questions. What would you say to those hiring managers who put this pretext around a certain number of years that, that, that aren't like particularly engineering or like very process heavy roles where you, where they want to make sure someone understands fully the process that's aside. And then how long did it take you to get up to speed? Yeah. Having solar industry experience is, is obviously you know, a plus, no doubt about it. But in absence of that, what I would probably put more focus on is, uh, do you understand commercial construction? Again, depending on the role that you're in, you know, so I'm going to generalize here a little bit, but if you have commercial construction experience, then I think that that skill set and experience is very portable. And so that was, that, that was what I found. So right, the, the, the company I was in right before joining the, uh, the RBI team was in the commercial construction, you know, sort of metal fabrication architectural space. And I remember going from sort of the reverse logistics, heavy manufacturing world that was closed the loop, materials management type stuff, and going into commercial construction for the first time. Only then did I fully appreciate some of the anecdotals that I'd come to know of before. Like it's a, right. um, it's a very unique industry, mm-hmm. right? And you hear that and you don't really fully appreciate that. It's like yeah. having kids. Like people can tell you <laughs> what it's like <laughs> you, to have kids all day long. You've got no that. idea. Yeah, yeah. you've got no <laughs> idea until you actually live it. And so that was my journey in, in commercial construction. And, and so now, you know, reflecting back, I would say, yeah, hey, if – if you don't have solar experience, it's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, commercial construction experience, I think, can be weighted fairly heavily in, you know, anyone that's looking to join a team or, or come into the industry. Yeah. 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 That's really, that's super helpful. And I think that in today's hyper competitive and constrained talent market, it's increasingly important for us to think about those portable skills. What are the transferable work skills? that that really cultivate the bedrock that you and your team can build upon to help them get up to speed. And that brings the second question for you and perhaps even um, as you think about bringing on folks into TerraSmart as you guys are growing, how long do you think it takes someone to kind of get up to speed in quotes uh, with the solar industry sufficient to be able to really plug in and do the work, assuming they have no prior experience with the solar industry specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, depending on the exact role, but you know, yeah, if you if you're in some commercial project management sort of function, yeah, at least for me, my journey, I, I would say probably the th- three months having that commercial construction background, and you know, the fog started to lift pretty quickly after that. Maybe if you're coming into commercial construction, or so, sorry, the solar industry without that commercial construction background, you know, maybe you're in the three to six month range is probably what it would. Yeah, what I would guess. Yeah. I appreciate that answer because it confirms what many others have said on this show as well. So if this is your first time listening to Suncast and you haven't heard me ask this question, the most common answer is three to six months. And <laughs> and it it baffles I mean, it baffles me and boggles the mind that we would literally like whole cloth cut out an entire swath of people who who we disqualify, who are otherwise hyper-qualified for a particular job, probably even just an office job, simply because they 
we, we as an industry don't have the relevant protocol and process and training internally in the companies or even externally to help the companies that would allow a company to have a three month buffer for someone to get used to their job. Like it talks to the hyper growth that we're experiencing in the industry where we really do need all hands on deck and we need to patch holes in the boat. But as an industry, as we mature, you really have to be able to say, as you would at GE or, or any, you know, at a CPG company, it's totally fine for this person to, to swim around in the ocean for three months while they figure out what they're doing because they're smart enough to help us and then they'll get smarter at what we do. Yeah, Nick, I, I couldn't agree with you more there, mate. And at least from my perspective, I think just a, a healthy blend of both doesn't hurt. Um, you know, having some fresh, you know, having some fresh eyes, you know, from a different industry and then sort of getting to know solar definitely has its, its pros, right. And, you know, there's some cons there too, but then, you know, having some, you know, solar seasoned <laughs> talent and people join the team, you know, there's definitely some pros and cons to that too, because you don't want to just sort of have this, um, you know, sort of vanilla flavor of, of thinking about how to go approach markets or solutions or how to drive the industry at large forward. So yeah, I think a blend of both, you know, and not swinging the pendulum too hard one way or another makes a lot of sense. So I want to ask a question about Gibraltar and the, the nature of manufacturing and bring in the whole idea of, uh, of closed loop and full life cycle of product. Before I do that, I think it'd be helpful. A lot of folks perhaps look at TerraSmart as just a racking company because in fact, RBI is a racking company and TerraSmart prior to the acquisition by Gibraltar, was known widely as a racking company. So help us understand the, kind of the nature of the business. So TerraSmart is the company, is the brand that represents uh, the renewable energy platform or recruit, uh, reporting group for Gibraltar. So Gibraltar as the corporate entity has a number of different reporting groups. Renewable energy is one of them, um, you know, ag tech, you know, home improvement group, building products. So there's a number of different reporting groups that all uh, come together um, and form Gibraltar as a collective. So, so us as TerraSmart, us as the renewable energy platform group, uh, there's a number of, of markets uh, that sit underneath that banner. So you know, r- roughly speaking, we in, in different levels participate in pretty much every, every solar technology platform out there. So you know, roof, canopy, fixed till, tracker, um, we, we don't do floating solar yet. So, <laughs> you know. um, and then, yeah, EBOS, of course, uh, electrical balance of systems. And then, uh, the, the Sunfig team round, round all of that out with our design software. So, yeah, so a number of different markets, a number of different verticals that we play in. And yeah, so that's on the product side. And then on the services, um, it's primarily on the yeah, installation and fields, field services side. Hey, solar project owners and developers are infrequent field checks in your operations and maintenance plan and oversight. Do you need proper insight? Well, let data drive your maintenance. Our friends over at 60 Hertz are in the cloud so that you spend less time on the ground and their app is a snap. 60 Hertz in your pocket will help bring solar to the socket. You can learn more about how 60 Hertz can help your operations and maintenance plan at mysuncast.com forward slash 60HERTZ. That's 60 Hertz. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like a higher 
Energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. You know, we talked about your experience with Close the Loop and the circular economy concept. As a manufacturer, it's, I think, easy to say that you have an obligation to really think about the full life cycle of a product in the same way that Lexmark does with their computer equipment. With that lens, and now working in the solar industry, where arguably I would say we have an end-of-life problem that we're still trying to figure out and solve, you know, aluminum, steel, I think that piece is more solvable and, and, and has been solved in other industries. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on how the, the solar industry is getting this concept of circular economy and end-of-life right and where we might have still a lot of work to do. I think – on the first part of the question, which is, hey, what have we got right? I think there's a decent level of awareness and discussion happening now, right? So th- that part, I think, yeah, that's good. And that just needs to keep going. We just need to keep amplifying those discussions and then ultimately amplifying that, you know, the discussion and turning that into some form of action and solution. And there's been many, many other examples and in industries where that discussion and that level of, I would say, maybe consciousness for the end of life happened too late. And the industry or that you know, group of manufacturers or companies got a black eye as a result of not thinking about this, just focusing on how to just push out more, but just pump it out, pump it out, pump it out, and we'll figure it out later. What's an example, if I'm completely unaware of it, what's an example of an industry that got a black eye for not thinking about it soon enough? Oh, one of the most classical ones is, remember the old CRT monitors? Oh, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. The, to my knowledge, and yeah, I'm happy to be wrong about this, there is no great solution right now for those. Just think about that. And in in that particular industries, in that evolution, remember, I mean, computers just exploded, right? So it went from almost no one having anything to a lot of people having them. And that it was all basically CRT monitors, this um, encapsulated lead, the lead that was basically encapsulated glass. And so, yeah, massive issue toxicity and and there's CRTs. Uh, there might be a few companies that have popped up maybe just recently that have popped up that have managed to crack that nut. But for a very, very long time, there was you know, what some coined as above ground um, landfills. Just people were just stockpiling it, had no idea what to do with wow. it. Wow. That sounds vaguely familiar, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the dirty secret yeah. in solar is that we have above ground landfills of solar panels lying around. I don't know that I would fully subscribe to that theory yet, um, uh-huh. but it but it has the potential to be. Mm-hmm. That's where I would just encourage you know, sort of all, all of us and the entrepreneurs at heart that really like you know, that really care about solar, but particularly you know, circular economy and keeping things out of out of the landfill. Yeah, is sol- solving this problem. I think is going to be you know, amongst it maybe a few other things is ab- absolutely going to be critical to the future success of the solar industry for sure. For yeah. sure. I mean, think about think about this, nuclear, like nuclear waste, right? Uh, it's, it's the nuclear energy industry, right? If it wasn't for the waste problem and maybe from the safety side of things, maybe you could say the um, like a mini nuclear reactor. So some of the up and coming nuke, nuke uh, technology right now. If it wasn't for the waste issue, I think that that would have su- you know, a much larger penetration into the energy market overall. 
But the waste issue is a massive black eye on that industry, right? And now it just happens to be that that's a pretty hard one to solve. <laughs> so, yeah, I would just, you know, continue to encourage just all of us to keep thinking about it and keep, you know, in all of our unique ways, just keep keep being part of the solution. It's it's going to be big. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it is, it's going to be huge. Uh, you know, just recently, Fraunhofer revealed that they had created a solar panel out of recycled cells, which okay. is something we've something we've been waiting for to see for years, right? Like this thing in, in yeah. the wild that's living that actually is producing electricity from recycled cells. We've been, we've, we know what to do with the copper and, and the aluminum, but the cells themselves. And our, our friend Sam Vanderhoof and, and many others, you know, they're really engaged in PV recycling. We don't want to spend a ton of time on, uh, on this topic, but I do think that it's, it's one of those things that if you are a manufacturer and you aren't thinking as, as Gibraltar is in the full life cycle of your product, then that creates for us as an industry a, the propensity towards a black eye, and we have to think about that. You discussed some of the the brands uh, RBI, Sunfig, TerraSmart that Gibraltar has acquired since 2015. Uh, for us in the industry, been around a while. They are you might call them uh, might call them legacy, but also legendary. Like RBI is one of the most legendary solar racking companies in America. Obviously, there are other global companies, but you've had a chance to be along for the ride. Talk about the experience of being first an employee and then a manager in a company that is, is experiencing this rapid growth. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's been an interesting journey and Boyle, a lot of that, uh, I'd say a lot of the success and a, a lot of the industry awareness and just general respect for RBI, um, you, you can't help but mention Bill Vetus, you know, <laughs> one of the one of the sort of the founding fathers of of solar, or at least in the, in the racking space. And I mean, other than just being a good bloke to begin with, right? So he's just a salt of salt of the earth person. I'm so glad we got the word bloke <laughs> in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, other than just being a really good person, he just uh, you know put people first, right? And so whether it was you know our team, our employees, our customers. Um, that was always top of mind for him, and and that um, I, I think he, he he was able to do an amazing job, uh, sort of distilling and percolating that down into the into the team, into the broader organization, and it you know, mm. still exists as of today. But yeah, you know, the, the the other thing I would say is that he was willing to just take a few risks and do yeah. things that were, uh, and others I should say, but you know, in this particular case, legacy RBI, um, willing to do things that were a little bit different. And try some things, and we tried one thing, didn't work. Go, you know, tack a little right, see if that works, and just keep going at it. So, yeah, uh, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah, absolutely great, great group of people for sure. So, it's one thing to buy one company, and there are lots of acquisitions happening right now in the industry. So, I think this is going to be helpful for folks to think through. It's one thing to buy one. Gibraltar bought four, and it's part of your job in management to not just think about the rebrand, which I've said to you guys um, in, in, in the past is, has been executed really, really well. The, the TerraSmart brand is, is, I think, one that is going to stand out for most folks. But talk about the, the process of integrating all of the people. You talked about the, the people management style and, and the culture of RBI. How do you think in, now in terms of this bigger company of integrating these disparate, uh, not disparate, but different for sure, teams yeah. coming from different places and having everyone tack to the same direction. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, it's been interesting and it's a, it's a journey, but I mean, that's kind of, 
probably the the, the simplest Where do way you to start put it. in the journey back to your the the elephant elephant by the time yeah so um we've picked just a few key functional areas to go align around and and unify and and so there's you know there's a strategy that says hey you know we'll we'll take certain you know, certain areas and we'll go reorganize ourselves slightly once certain leaders or certain organizational designs have been um, decided upon, then the real fun starts, which is exactly down into every workflow, down into every system, down into every you know, communication style or format or template. You pick your flavor at that point, but that's when the real fun starts. But really, the none of that can happen without just you know, grouping like functions together and saying, okay, now they're not all working in a unified and harmonized fashion yet, but we're, it's all together now. And, and then, then that journey starts to roll. So that's kind of, I'd say that's been, that's been the f- philosophy so far. Probably the other thing I would say is as few you know, sort of big light switch moments as possible, right? It's, it's just, it's too disruptive. So the, the, the theory that, yeah, that I subscribe to, that we're subscribing to now is just more like sort of a, an organic grassroots approach. Let's just do, instead of trying to do just, you know, that one big event, that one big moment in time where all these different things change, let's just change something every week. Or let's just go unify or upgrade or harmonize something every week. And it's going to take a hundred of them, maybe more. And and so that that's when I say it's part of the journey. I personally don't like to look at these things as just this, you know, one point in time where we're going to go throw a switch and everything is just magically done. It's just, it never works like that. How would you define culture and how do you at TerraSmart think about culture as a management team? Yeah, I would say loosely, loosely described as servant leadership, right? Is how do we go sort of serve the business, serve our team, you know, serve the customers. And this is, but, you know, th- definitely this is a philosophy that we you know, currently embrace. Uh, you know, I would say Bill, you know, Bill Vetus, basically ever since I joined the team, was a, a massive proponent of this and, and I gravitated towards this sort of notion. Maybe I had an inkling and, and maybe in, inadvertently operated in that mode, but he was the first one that said that, that badged it for me perfectly. I hadn't heard that term before, before Bill introduced it to me. So I would say that that to me is sort of the predominant culture right now, and that all that extends all the way up to Gibraltar. I mean, Bill Bosley, our CEO, um, yeah, I, I remember in the few years that have passed, is like his view and ph- philosophy and framework around how you know, what value a corporate team can bring is all kind of loosely defined. He didn't, I don't think he said these words exactly, but basically the concept was servant leadership. We're here to make the businesses successful. How can we go do that? So if you trickle that notion down, then you know. All of us will be successful. You know, our team members, our business, our customers. It, you know, it, it it can all cascade from there. But you, there's a certain certain level of um, you know comfort, I guess, that you have to be okay with saying, "Hey, it's you know, this is the mode of operation." I want to give edification to that idea and how it does trickle down, as, as it were, to the frontline employees. Because as someone who has for years been in the pro, in, in non suncast role being a, a mostly sales and biz dev consultant in the industry post Conergy, I have worked with numerous companies that compete against RBI and TerraSmart. And I'll never forget sitting in the office of Cypress Creek and which 
for those who are in the industry know, like probably 95% of Cypress Creek's projects are RPI projects and the other five are TerraSmart prior to the acquisition. So I would say handily you're the, the, the client that loves RBI the most. And, and I asked the head of engineering whose decision making basically decided whether or not they would use any other racking. Why are you so faithful to RBI? It's a question anybody would want to ask in the, in the sales process. And he said, he said two things that stuck out. He said, they always answer the phone and they never issue a change order. <laughs> and the, here's the other, but here's the other thing. RBI is also not the cheapest in the, in the market. It's not the least expensive right, product. Right, right. So t- can you talk a bit about from a sales perspective? And, and I think it's company culture, what those two things say about how you all have developed uh, your client relationships. I mean, it's, it's interesting because there's, you know, commercial construction back to the point is like a, a lot of things happen out in the field and, you know, as, as much as possible, you try and make that journey as, as smooth and as easy you know, as it can be. And, uh, and sometimes that puts some headwinds up on the front end of the business where it's, you know, price per watt, price per watt, price per watt. And there are things that you know, we do or the way that we approach business that um, isn't necessarily like a race to the bottom, right? That's, that's, generally not going to be healthy in the long run. It's just, it ends up being you commodity, you commoditize certain parts of the market or whatever, whatever it may be. And, and instead we, you know, we, we take a different track, a different philosophy, which is, Hey, we want to be there as a partner and we're going to do like different things maybe than others do. You know, others might do like, you know, change orders or, you know, maybe it's, Hey, we, we might pre-assemble our rack and top co- you know, top cords, and we're going to make that a little bit easier for our for the field teams out on site. It's just things like that. So, yeah, I mean, customer journey, customer experience, how to keep uh, you know how to keep just sort of the projects rolling with as little bumps and hiccups in the road as possible. Generally, that's going to be the you know be be the best philosophy. But but then there's some there's some other. Um, you know, customers or developers or EPCs where that really isn't like, I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about change orders. Like, yeah, we'll go talk change orders later. I need price per watt up front. And, you know, so that, you know, I would say there's probably a bit of a stratification in the marketplace right now. You know, I mentioned before that you guys, obviously you've rolled in four different now legacy companies into one brand. Uh, I think that I probably speak for many when uh, I say that we were all, Surprised in some ways, pleasantly, when you all kept the name TerraSmart. Can you talk about the new brand for TerraSmart that now encompasses RBI Solar and Sunfig and and Solar Boss? Listen, I I personally I love the name, right? I love the brand. I love what it yeah. stands for. Um, but it was a journey, right? It was a journey because there was a lot of uh, passion and emotion that I can went only into imagine. <laughs> that went into it, and there's there's no doubt about it. And you know. I was passionate and uh, heavily vested in that too, and so were a lot of others. But you know, Joanna and the marketing team, to their credit, really uh, and others really walked us through walked us through that journey to an end result that I think all of us can stand back and say, "Hey, we you know we really love and embrace everything that this brand stands for." And you know, Terra, the land, the earth, and smart. This to me is kind of like. It's just let's let's be smart with the earth and the land as we've got it right. So I love that whole notion. And then you know the, the undercurrent, the underthread to it was let's let's be a little bit bold. 
let's let's not be like the next because for us we step back and look at it and say we actually are doing something that is hasn't hasn't been done before definitely in the US maybe in the world and so um that takes a certain level of so like hey yeah let's just yeah this is a bold endeavor and let's have the brand reflect that and 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 let it embrace less on the technicals and the mechanicals and the feature function side of thing and let's just embrace the human element of it right and so yeah so yeah i, I can't yeah, I can't talk highly enough for it. But net, net, Nick, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't. It wasn't a journey, right? It wasn't a journey. It was a journey for all of us. But, but yeah, we got there in the end, and uh, yeah, super, super pumped about how it how it all turned out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I, I've I've given uh, in private, and I'll I'll do it here in public. Kudos to the marketing team who helped execute the rebrand, because as many here in the industry are consolidating teams and consolidating uh, businesses. This is one of the hard parts is how do you think about the new, the new face of the company, right? Um, you know, uh, IPS Solar just got acquired by New Energy Equity that just also got acquired by Elite. Uh, they all have to think about these topics as they, as they consider the new face of the company. And so in, in an environment, an industry where we're growing so rapidly and M&A is imminent, I would posit that folks should and, and can look at the TerraSmart consolidation as a shining example of what I think branding done right looks like. So kudos to you guys for that. To the marketing <laughs> team who, who contributed. I'm, I mean, down to the colors and the execution <laughs> and the videos, I'll link to it for sure. Cause I, I am impressed and, and I'm grateful that I had a chance to kind of get a preview of it all before you guys announced it, but all the way down to like the culture videos and, and the way that you guys have made it very personal. I think that it's a brand, it's a, it's a brand story that is worth uh, studying for those of you who are listening and thinking about how do I present my brand, uh, just go take a look at the TerraSmart LinkedIn page because the brand story is right there in in personal stories from frontline workers, including you, Dean, which is how yeah. uh, how I uh, became aware of the work that you do and, and got a chance to invite you to the show. There is so much that we could also cover. I want to make sure that I get through some of the things that our our, our tribe had, are no doubt expecting at um, at what invariably is the the tail end of the interview. Uh, part of that is. You've had a chance to be to be mentored and and have influence in your life by Bill and uh, Steve and, and so many folks that have given you or imparted in you key lessons. Could you share a couple of the things that for you stand out as key lessons or takeaways in your career that you all now pass along as a as a manager to those that work with you? I would probably say that all those people that you mentioned all have kind of this common denominator, and that's sort of something that I take to heart and I try to emulate is do not give up. It does not matter how big that mountain is or how complex that problem is. Do not give up. And I could rattle off a whole host of different examples. But <laughs> I saw this picture once. It's um like a little cartoon where it's got this, I think it must be a pelican or a bird or something, and it's eating this frog. But the frog, while it's in the while it's in the pelican's mouth, it's still got its arms around the the pelican's neck. Around his like throat. even to eat. Yeah, he's being eaten, but he's still not giving up. He's, you know, it's, it's just a, 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 f- a funny little thing that um, that pops into my head every now and then. But net, net, like, never give up. It doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't matter what the what the challenge, what the solution is. So, persistence, just hard work, energy, creativity, passion, spirit, just 
bundle it all up and just go, you know, whatever that thing is that you put up on deck, whether it's, you know, end of life, solar panel recycling, whatever it is, just embrace some of that. And uh, yeah, so that would be that, yeah, that would be the, my takeaways from, from some of those people you mentioned for sure. I appreciate that answer so much. What do you see as the evolution of our industry? Many would say that, as I said, the last 10 years have represented just hyperbolic growth, but the reality as you and I for sure see it is that we are just now entering into that hockey stick of our industry yeah. where we're going to see growth like we've never experienced before. What What do you see coming as how we how our industry evolves and sort of what corners are you looking around? I think energy storage and the advancements in technology and energy storage is going to unlock a uh, unlock potential for the solar industry that I think is maybe a little bit hard to imagine right now in terms of its upward trajectory. And then, you know, I guess out of recent events, maybe some some overlay in there, some political overlay, which is energy independence. And just having you know, countries, not just the US, just having countries be able to stand on their own two feet and able to you know, power in whatever fashion that might be, power themselves, right? And not have to worry um, and rely on others to do that for them and, and do it in a sustainable way. So I think, yeah, energy storage, I think, is going to be just massive. It's going to have a knock-on effect with solar. But then you know, also, you know, just from a, a solar-specific side of things, optimization, but at least you know, from a from our perspective, TerraSmart perspective, optimization across many, many different parts of the chain, all starting with you know the design software up front before you've even selected a technology. Let's go pressure test and and tumble thousands of combinations to find the exact right thing for that longitude and latitude every single time. There's no genericizing different solutions and different packages and systems it will be customized and optimized down to the long lat. So, yeah, I think that that's definitely going to be an area where you know, we as TerraSmart can you know, continue to add value and continue to support the industry uh, and and keep reducing that levelized cost of energy for sure. But, you know, in a broader context, maybe sort of in a broader energy uh, energy context, battery storage to me seems like it's going to be, um, it's going to be definitely an amazing, amazing area. I do want to make I sort of make a put a pin in a point that you've brought up that energy independence and this key role that it plays in decisions around how power is generated and the topic of energy storage are intertwined. And, you know, one of the things that we realized in the last few years in the industry is that the need for energy storage is greater than the need for solar generation because it actually is decoupled from the renewable power generation. It allows for so many different applications. Like you said, it is going to unlock potential that we really can't even understand right now. Yeah. Most of us, there are certainly folks who understand it and they're working hard at it. I want to, but the thing I want to put a pin in is actually, and I, I think I'm going to turn, circle back around with you guys. Many probably didn't even know Sunfig existed before you guys bought it. And the very great example you just gave is, a, is an example of how software is being utilized to optimize and improve the overall experience a customer has that the customer doesn't even realize they're having because we're integrating it so finely into the 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 proposal process, the the project development process. But it is it's a critical element and it's a critical a critical uh, sort of insight into how we are now utilizing software, ML and AI in particular. That that we we used to run hundreds of iterations manually with humans, um, and now software is doing that work for us. That's what, I'm glad you point that yeah. out. 
yeah, it's an exciting space. We're su- yeah, super excited to be a part of it. And uh, boy, the opportunity for improvement there is just uh, is, is um, exciting to anyone. Well, Dean, as I often say here, I believe that readers are leaders and leaders are readers. I believe that books and the, the content therein help us glean wisdom from hard lessons learned uh, in the past that we don't have to experience personally, but we can learn, we can, we can utilize in our own growth. I'd love to know if there are any particular uh, authors or books that have impacted you and the way that you either see the world or, uh, or the way that you work within it. Yes. Yeah, so a few that stand out, Nico, uh, measure what matters. That's a, that's a good, oh, good yeah. classic one there. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed that one. Um, I think Ato- Atomic Habits I really mm-hmm. enjoyed, but the one I th- I thought was you know, probably the most interesting is Limitless. G- Jim Quick, anyone that hasn't read that one, or I'm actually I don't even like to read. I'm more of an audio book person myself. Um, but uh, yeah, that one is a uh, is a thought provoking book, and I would encourage that one. Uh, Dean, do you have a particular uh, morning or evening routine that helps you prime the pump? Helps you get kind of get the get into and to get your mojo going? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've got, uh, yeah, just a small exercise, you know, routine, stretch, yeah, stretch, yeah, push-up, sit-up type thing. But uh, one thing, and I must have heard this, boy, it's been many years ago, but there was this one admiral that did uh, his, I think it was his commencement speech at one mm. of the universities. Yep. And um, and it was, I don't know why this uh yeah, why this part of his speech stuck in my head, but it's like, hey, if you want to go change the world, start by making your bed. And, uh, you know, for some reason that's just stuck with me for many years. So I guess that's part of the Navy SEALs. And so the the crispness and the, and the way that they make their beds isn't just because they want to keep their rooms tidy. There's some mental discipline to that and yeah. um, it sort of sets them up. So anyway, for some reason, I just kind of latched onto that and, you know, I try and do my best to, you know, make everything crisp and neat and, you know, tight. So I love it. <laughs> that's I love maybe it. that's one small thing, yeah. For those who haven't seen it, it's the University of Texas Austin 2014 commencement address. It's easy to yeah. search, but we'll link to it as well in the blog if uh, if uh, if we do our job right. Well, Dean, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to, sit with you and enjoy this um, wandering and thoughtful conversation. If folks are similarly inspired and they would like to get to know you, where's the best place they can reach out? Where do you like to be found? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn or, uh, you know, email dvukovic at terrasmart.com. Yep. Well, Dean, let's end the conversation as we always do with what I call bold prediction. Dean Vukovic, what one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Yes. So, you know, we already spoke about the energy storage side of things and that's got a fair bit of coverage. But the one that I think maybe isn't getting a whole lot of attention right now is this notion of agrivoltaics or dual purposing of land. And I think there's actually some recent news articles coming out. I think it was a a long canal out in... um, out in California that's going to put solar on, on top of uh, a, a pretty big stretch of this canal. And, you know, so I'll generally define that as, as being agrivoltaics. But the whole notion of dual-purposing land and to think that a farmer in Kentucky could be farming solar energy, farming energy, whilst growing something underneath, I think is a super interesting concept. And I would love <laughs> more than it. I would love to see the notion of agrivoltaics really 
pick up steam because the, the second and third order effects and benefits, I think, uh, are super exciting. I love it. Um, I just recently met an entrepreneur from France who their entire business is around agrivoltaics, and uh, I haven't talked about it much here on the show. So I'll definitely have to, I'm going to have to bring some folks in and we'll talk a little bit more about agrivoltaics. Dean Vukovic is the general manager of Ground Mount Systems at TerraSmart. And it has been a true pleasure to have you here on the show today. Thanks for your time, Dean. Oh, thank you very much, mate. I appreciate it. All right, Solar Warrior. Well, that's a wrap on today's conversation with Dean Vukovic of TerraSmart. Thank you, Dean and the TerraSmart team for helping get us smarter on not just good branding, but good culture and process and such a fun story of your journey from Australia over to America. I think it's really, really important that we continue to key in on the two things that for me stand out. And that is the the full life cycle of how we as an industry are considering where these products go and how we close that loop. And then also the reality in this tight talent market of our obligation to expand the the pie and bring in more people will themselves in three to six months be contributing meaningfully with their other transferable skills to the organization, whether or not they have solar experience. Did that resonate with you the way it did with Dean and I? I hope it did. And I hope that you'll give us your feedback. Get online and share not just this episode, but your thoughts about it over on LinkedIn. I'll have a post up that you can find if you go to my LinkedIn. And along with that, if you're eager to keep learning, well, you, my fellow PhiloMath, can find that LinkedIn link and all the resources and highlights from this conversation, the book recommendations, and more at the show notes page over on mysuncast.com. Click on the episodes tab and you'll easily find it. I hope that you will let Dean and I know how this episode landed for you. What resonated? What didn't? What else would you like to hear? And who do you think needs to hear this story? Continue to stay tuned as every Tuesday we bring you tactical, practical advice on how to deepen your career in clean energy. And every Thursday we bring executive highlights just like this one so that you can better understand how this industry is unfolding for you, me, and everyone else. Thanks again to our sponsors who help make this content free for you again today. You can learn more about them and their offers, as well as how you could partner with us and help the Suncast tribe over at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. The solar industry is at a critical moment. Trade disputes, supply chain constraints, and interconnection delays threaten the momentum of the clean energy transition's golden technology. Hey, Suncast listeners, I'm John Engel, host of a new podcast for the solar industry called Factor This. Each episode, we're taking you in-depth on the issues that matter to you most, and we've launched with a four-part series on the Oxen Solar Tariff Petition, which includes an exclusive interview with their CEO. Nico was one of our first listeners, and I hope you'll join him. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you at Factor This.